You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. I remember to put my pants on. That was about it today. So it's been one of those days. We're glad to be together. Uh, Jesus Christ is in the center of things. I, uh, he, uh, he loves you this morning. He wants to communicate his word to you. And so I pray that we can do that. We're going to be in Romans. You can turn your way there now. But I'm going to, before I even do that, just uh, remind us that Jack and Taylor Kale are back from uh, being far away. And uh, let's welcome them back this morning. <clears throat> Uh, I assume that you have all kinds of things bubbling in your heart to share, and uh, I'm not going to let you have my sermon time to do that today, uh, but, uh, but next Sunday, would you uh, just blow us away with whatever God's done in your lives and uh, share that with us next week? Sure. Yeah. But uh, they're here. Make sure you see them as well, because you, they might slip through the crowd, but uh, we've been praying for these guys for a month as they've been gone and uh, serving the Lord. Jack's doing surgeries like crazy, and Taylor is just, you know... I don't know what you were doing, Taylor, but I know it was tough, and uh, in a very uh, tough place, and uh, uh, so uh, Bangladesh, and so that's that's a that's a major place, and so uh, just uh, be uh, be uh, be welcoming to them, and make sure they know of their love from you as well. <clears throat> uh, this series that I'm trying to uh, walk us through is uh, stimulated by things that have happened, things I know about, things I'm concerned about, things I hope never happen, all those kinds of things. And so that's why we're in this uh, particular series. Uh, just want to uh, talk to us as believers in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ today, you might find some comments a bit odd, different, because we're talking about church people and how we are to relate to each other, how we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we're to relate to those who don't know the Lord, and that's very important for us. Last week, we sort of uh, jumped into chapter 12 of Romans. Uh, We hit the first two verses, uh, reminding us that the priority of every believer, including myself, is that every day... We must discipline ourselves, and I say that because uh, we're so forgetful. Uh, We get caught by time, by all kinds of issues that can sidetrack us even in the morning and uh, whatever your routines are, but we've got to spend time with the Lord. We've got to uh, uh, present ourselves to the Lord every day as a living sacrifice. What what Paul is saying is that we we must come to the Lord and say, I am yours. I belong to you. This, This mind, body, and soul belongs to you, Lord, and today I want to make sure you're in charge of my life, not me. And we commit ourselves to that consecration to him. Uh, We talk about the fact that uh, the warning to us that this world is is just waiting for us to walk into it. This world is, uh, though designed by God, this world is a fallen world. That means that as we walk into the world, the world's uh, uh, agenda is to conform us. 
Uh, everyone, if we can just be conformed, you hear this message throughout our world, throughout all the news agencies, aside from Fox maybe, but you hear this news that we're to all just get along, we're all to be kind, and, and there shouldn't be any differences of opinion to the extent that we are uh, angry with one another. We should love each other and accept each other, and all these messages that sound great on the uh, surface of that idea, but obviously we're to not be conformed to the world. That doesn't mean I resist the world. It doesn't mean I hate the world. It means that I don't don't want the world to shape how I think. And so he says we should be uh, allowed to have our minds renewed, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we put God's word in our mind to make sure to remind us who I belong to. I belong to Jesus. And hopefully if you're a believer in Christ, you understand that as well. Uh, those two, uh, uh, what we're calling in our, in our text this morning, these are precepts that were given to uh, help us understand how to live this life. It's an extension of the Beatitudes out of Matthew 5. It's uh, Jesus telling us how to live, and, and as he does that, this is Paul's extension of that. And obviously, the first thing we do, the priority is relationship with Christ, and then obviously committing ourselves so much to him that this world is just really second place to us. It's, it's, it's here, I live here, I enjoy it, but it's, it's so behind my walk with Christ, and it has to be that way. You have to have those two uh, precepts in place, to go through the rest of the passage. You can't go beyond verse 2 if you don't understand the first, two ver- the first two verses. And so then he begins to unpack for us these precepts, and the third precept is going to be in verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The uh, Word of God has uh, sent us many warnings about how we should think. We're supposed to know how to think, and God's Word tells us how to think. I, I don't like people telling me how to think. Are you kind of like that? I resist that. If you tell me how to think, I can just, you know, I can go to a dark place. I don't like control. And I think sometimes we all resist that, but listen to how the Word reminds us how we're supposed to think as believers in Christ. Peter made it very clear in his letter, 1 Peter 5, 8, when he said this, be sober, be vigilant, and then he tells us why. For your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. It's a good idea to be on guard because we have an enemy whose agenda is to take us down. If he can defile your testimony, if he can destroy your your character, if he can attack your joy, if he can somehow find a grip on our lives, usually he goes for our emotions or he goes for our appetites. And when he does that, he finds his way in as we sort of open ourselves up because we're not guarded. And then we get in trouble. That's his agenda. Uh, Peter also wrote in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, uh, uh, verse 7, be serious and watchful. He tells us why. Because the end of all things is at hand. I don't know if you believe that. Peter wrote that 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. And so when we read that, we say, well, uh, Stuart, it's been a long time, and that verse has not, doesn't seem to mean much to me today. And I want to remind us that it, when Peter penned that, uh, life completely changed for believers in his day. 
persecution amped up, and there was much trouble. And believers in that day thought just as much as we might today that the end was coming. And it was coming for many of them. This idea that the end, when we talk about the end, we don't realize that that's an all-encompassing phrase that's true in every generation. The end comes. Uh, some of you will not be here in the next year. That's just life. The end is always a, a word that we're given in the scripture that always has personal meaning for every person that reads it because you don't know when your end is. So maybe he's talking about the end of time. Uh, and we can stall out and say, well, that's not coming yet, so I can just carry on. But what if it's just the end for you? So you can't play games with God's word and try to uh, put something off because it doesn't mean something personal to you, because it really is personal. The end of all things is at hand. I, we're supposed to live our life as though this was our last day. Right? Uh, notice in first, well, you don't have to turn, but in First Timothy chapter 3, as he writes to, uh, to address those who are called into ministry, bishop and overseer, in verse 2, he says, they are to be sober-minded. And, and the reason that uh, those who are called to lead the church are to be sober-minded, because we can't afford to get caught, because if we get caught, uh, guess what? It just takes others down with us. It's, it's one of the most uh, uh, horrendous things to experience and to understand when those who are called to lead God's people are falling like crazy over sin in their personal lives. What a sad day we live in to see that happening. God help myself and others who lead the church to not fall to Satan's grip in our life, we have to be on guard. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Let us who are of the day be sober. Now he's talking to all of us. All of us. Uh, when he's talking about the, those who live in the day, he's talking about the difference between those who are not uh, following Christ, who really live in the dark or live at night. Uh, the idea here is that once you've seen the light of Christ, you understand truth. If you don't understand the, the truth of Jesus Christ, by the very nature of not following Christ, you are of the night. You're of the dark. You're not walking in truth and light. And he says, those who are now called to walk in light and know that are to be sober. And there's a reason why all of us are called to this, because we are absolutely fleshly and vulnerable. And we all know this. So obviously we struggle. We become careless. We become casual in how we handle our faith. And so that's when Satan knows how to take us down. Uh, this culture we live in is a culture that I think more and more wants to have more fun than ever before. And so what happens is uh, that family fun, uh, you know, just this relational family thing has become this new pendulum that has swung so far to the other direction. It used to be uh, the, the accusation to the church was, well, the church doesn't uh, witness for Christ because the church is so caught up in their own little church world, their own little programs and so on. And so there's been this big swing on the pendulum over to now no one uh, leads people to Christ or witnesses for Christ because we're all caught up in our little families. And somehow we've left behind the sense of why we're called here. And we're going to see in this text that we're called directly for this purpose of relationship uh, with each other. We'll see it also, obviously, with the Lord Jesus. And uh, I hope that we're all convicted by that because we need this in our day. We're so challenged by time and, and energy and the, the world, again, calling us into all kinds of stuff. Anything that the world's agenda can pull us and our kids away from following Christ and having an understanding that that's why I live. I live for him, not for stuff. I live for him, not for the world. And this, uh, 
day that we live in is so deceitful, so wicked in the sense that seems, things seem so innocent. Uh, I was, uh, two weeks ago, I was at uh, Liberty University, and uh, Dave and I were there, and uh, at night I was on a panel with uh, all prospective pastors, a, a bunch of guys in the room, and they were to ask us anything that they wanted to ask about ministry. And this one kid, for some reason, asked me, how do you balance family and ministry? It's, it's, it's one of those questions that at my age, I just, I just want to go like this. You know? And I think I had an attitude problem because I kind of gave him the chippy answer that I just wanted to give. I, I, I know they're reading a book. They have a textbook. David, I, you would know what the book is. I don't. But it's a book on family and ministry. And obviously in the book, the author's trying to tell all these guys that, yes, you know, over history, many pastors' kids have been lost because of the ministry. That's the line. Okay? So... All these guys are like, you know, worried about if I have a family, am I going to lose them if I spend too much time, you know, serving Jesus? And I, I just kind of like, I said, do you really want me to answer that? you really want me to answer that with the Lord Jesus standing here tonight? That's what I said. And he, he just sort of slumped in his chair. He didn't know what was coming. And I, I, I just said, look, I said, am I supposed to ask God, Lord, how many hours of the day belong to you? Uh, I'll give you that. How many hours belong to my family? How many hours belong to me personally for my own fun time? Is that what you want me to tell you? That I'm going to compartmentalize my, my walk with Christ and my service to him for everything else in my life, including my family? Uh, I, and I'm just going to tell you that, you know, I'm not one of these who believes that you should just, you know, I, I don't live here at this church. If somebody asked me if I did. I, 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 can, I have a recliner in my office. I can sleep here if I need to. If I get in an argument with Marilyn, I can easily sleep here. <laughs> now, the, the kitchen doesn't have a stove. It just has a micro, and so that's probably all I need, but whatever. But I, and there's actually showers back here. So if I had to, if you ever come to church, you know, on a Sunday morning, and I'm like coming out of the shower, you know, just, uh, <laughs> you know we probably had an argument. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't do that. I don't like this place that much. I like my home. I like my family. And so I've had kids. I've raised a family. And I understand the pressures that come with that. And I've had to. I had to sit down with my kids when they were young. And I had to say to my kids, look, you know, Daddy gave his life to follow Jesus. He wants the same thing for you guys. Uh, but here's the thing. What I've been called to do, what I want to do, what I desire to do, uh, what is my life, is giving my life to build Christ church to help people find Jesus and disciple them and bring them into church. That that's what I want to do. You understand that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so there's going to be times when I'm not going to be at some of the things you do. But that's not because I don't want to be there. I want to be there with all my heart, but sometimes I will not be there. But it's not because daddy doesn't love you. Uh, I, I was a youth pastor for 20 years, so my, my, my daughter, Mandy, and Philip, but mostly Mandy, went through the youth ministry as our, I was your youth pastor. And I had to step back and let other guys lead while I was in there so that it didn't give the, uh, you know, so Mandy could at least have some space and Philip. And, uh, and even during those years, uh, uh, the same thing. Uh, sometimes other students wanted to talk to me, wanted counseling. Uh, I had to take people home sometimes. And I, I know several times I had to say to, to Mandy, or usually it was Philip that was the worst one, uh, you know, why couldn't you come home early? Why, why did that person have to talk to you? And they're, they're just asking questions because someone's consuming my time. And I'd have to say, because this is what God's called me to do. That person had a need. 
do you have a need like that tonight? No, Dad. No, then, okay, then I talk to them, but, you know, I love you. I love you. Uh, and, and, uh, and so you, you ha- I just told, told this young man, it's, it's not about balancing your life. It's about, uh, it's obviously the, uh, the answer no one likes. It's quantity, time, yes, if you can, but it's mostly quality. Obviously, uh, spending time with your family means that your family is very important to you and you should make it a priority to find times when you can be with your family. But right now, what I'm going to tell you is that I'm watching the trends of families uh, you know, isolating themselves from so many things that this church could help them in because other things they think are more important. And it becomes concerning over time as I watch families going through this, uh, choices that they make for their kids. And I'm going to tell you at the end of, of your kids' uh, youthful days, when they become uh, adults, the thing that I've heard over the years that has been very consistent are those young people who stayed in the youth group, who were faithful to the youth group, who said to me, those were the days when I know I found Christ, where it formed me, where it helped me understand who I was, prepared me for school. And other students who didn't hang with the youth group really struggled. I'm just saying. It's not always true, but that's why God gave us a church to help strengthen the body of Christ. Going back to this thing about fun and so on, I just want to sort of remind ourselves that we're to be sober-minded. Obviously, uh, that sounds sort of like a killjoy, but I want to say to you today that God's word has also commanded us to be joyful. So it's not like I'm trying to say uh, being sober means that you look like one of the ushers in my church who uh, never smiled, never smiled, never smiled. And one day I went to my parents and said, what's wrong with that guy? And uh, my, my dad was the one who first gave me that joke about well, he was baptized in lemon juice. Uh, but I've carried that in my brain ever since. <clears throat> That's also the usher I found out back smoking during church service <clears throat> as a little kid. I got gotcha. I'm telling the pastor on you. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. We can have fun. But seriously, we must remain on guard. We must remain on guard. God help us. The fourth the fourth thing we want to see here is in verse 5 of the text, and uh, this precept, I've just broken this down to say we need to realize, just what it says here, we need to realize that we are members of one another. Look what it says here. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. When you became saved, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were instantly placed in Christ's body, his church. Your life uh, then is designed by the Lord to be interconnected. It's designed to have uh, a fellowship, a relationship with saints, fellow saints. And none of us, I believe, are complete or whole without this understanding of community in in the body of Christ. Uh, there should be, there should be a new dependency that comes into your life, a, a sense in that dependency of, of, of a drive to want to contribute something from your life uh, in this body and to be a part of this. But to do that, we must be joined with fellow believers. And by the way, this is the only way I believe you can fully glorify God, if you understand this. 
If you don't have this part of your life active, you're missing something very vital to your life. So in verses 5 through 80, he tells us uh, things he compels us we need to have. He says, and so, so we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In other words, we're not all the same. We all have different levels of, even if we have the same gifts, we have different levels and so on. He says, let us use them. If, and then he gives some samples, and these are not all the gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If it's ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Let us use it in our, uh, sorry, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts, use it in exhortation. He who gives, give with liberality. We don't tip God, we give with liberality. He says, he who leads with diligence, do so. And then he says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are just samples, by the way. Don't say that these are the only gifts. They're not. He's just saying, if you have a gift, and here's some samples, use the gifts that God's given you. Get involved with God's people. All right, so here's the thing. In this day, when Paul went into uh, Ephesus, or when he went into Philippi, or when he went into Corinth, or some of these other cities... There was only one church to go into, right? There weren't multiple choice churches. There weren't denominations and all the different variations that we have today. That that didn't exist. I mean, here in Sugar Creek, I don't know exactly how many churches, but there's a lot of churches just in this little tiny town, which, uh, you know, exemplifies all the crazy differences that we have. Usually there's doctrinal differences, uh, perhaps, but there's also just you know, lifestyle differences, how we fellowship together, and all that is messed up in this thing. And we're so splintered today, half, uh, I would say, most Christians are not really sure who they are anymore. But here in the text, I want us to understand something, and our church has caught this, and I hope that as you come and be a part of us, you understand where we're at, because we are committed to this idea that I think you need to officialize your membership. And what I mean is this, is that uh, as you come to a church and you find yourself as a believer in Christ, whatever your journey has been, and I want you to know that there's nowhere in the Word of God, nowhere in the Word of God, where you'll find any example of any believer by themselves uh, using their gifts by themselves. It's impossible. It's impossible for a, a believer by themselves to say, well, I'm using my gifts for the universal church. I'm a part of the greater body, and so I'm going to serve Jesus that way. Well, that's impossible according to the Word of God. I have yet to meet a saint who's, uh, uh, who's using their gifts and abilities for somebody over in the darkest part of Africa on a, on a weekly basis. That doesn't happen. I send them money. Well, that's not the same thing. We're talking about using your gifts and abilities. And in this text, Paul wants to just remind us that this is part of the design of every believer to get themselves involved in a local church using these gifts. And the the phrase that comes back and comes back here is this one another, one another, one another, members of one another, members of one another. So that we are so intertwined in this relationship with Christ and each other. That's why I always say that uh, this church is really the best, strongest family I have. And especially right now, my kids live in Canada. I, I, I don't see them very often. I don't talk to them every week even. I mean, my, Marilyn does. Marilyn talks every, every day to, to Mandy, I think. Girls do that. But us guys are like, ugh. You feeling okay? Ugh. Great. Ugh. Uh, when are you coming to visit? Ugh. Okay. 
And we both know what that means. <laughs> we say goodbye. You know, it's pretty simple. But we're not, you know, yes, we're family. Yes, we're blood. But I want you to know, I want you to know this from my heart today. I am so much understanding my relationship with you. It's inseparable. I don't care where I go around the world. I have you in my heart. We are divinely connected through Christ in this place. If someone doesn't want to, to, to get that close to someone else, then this might not be the church for you. We need to be close. We're called to be close. Jesus Christ certainly modeled that himself, and he calls us to that kind of life. And so we need to realize we're members of one another, and we call our people to join us with that understanding. We submit ourselves to a local church membership because that's the design all through the word. You can never not find it. It's always been there. We've just not been rightly taught. Membership is crucial, and the reason why I say we have to officialize it is because uh, we, we want to try to put a stopgap in this problem where we have uh, journeying uh, Christians going from church to church, hopping, 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 never satisfied, never happy. Never, but guess what? Those believers are not contributing. They're not connected to one another. They are violating the word of God, and that is strong stuff for me, but that's what's happening. And I've met them, and they've come here, and they've left because they're not comfortable here because we expect if you're going to come here, you really ought to be a part of us. Now, if you don't want to join, you can take in what we do, but you're going to miss out so much dynamic of who we are and what we're doing here. Some of you are going to say, well, I became a member uh, 10 years ago, and I don't know what that meant to me. Nothing's changed. I'm going to say, you got a problem with this word of God because it tells me you're to get busy. Are you hearing me? I'm not being mean. I'm just following God's word. I love you. And I know that the best thing for you as a believer in Christ is to understand that you belong to one another if you come here. And you're giving yourself in trust to a process that God has designed. And the only reason it doesn't work is when we try to keep a distance we don't want that close relationship. That's fleshly. That's our self-serving. That's our cynical part of us that says, well, I don't think I agree with everything, or I don't want to agree with everything, or I don't want to submit myself to that. And, you know, you know we've never given you a list of rules in this church. The only rule I can hand you is this. We don't have rules, but we do have the Word of God. We've tried not to be a legalistic church uh, in the sense that maybe some of you have experienced But there certainly are things that God expects us to follow, and we try to do that. But I am asking you to consider, if you're not a member today and you've been attending here, to understand the text is is loving. The text is wonderful. It's calling us to, here's how God designed me to use me in a place where I commit myself to other believers. And he isn't pleased when we say, no, 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 I don't want to get too close. I want to try this. I want to try this. I want to try this. And we're always doing that. If you're looking for a right church, that's okay. But lock yourself in. Find your church. Lock yourself in. Give yourself to the saints in that church as you follow Christ. And commit yourself into a relationship of membership together. Because God's called us to go down this road together. This church, 20 years. And you know what? If those members in the first uh, first five years, the first two years, if those early members had been, uh, and we, by the way, we did have some leave. Because as I try to express and explain what membership is, some folks probably didn't like that, and they left. I have in my uh, file drawer the name of just about everybody who's left here. 
as many as sitting in this room have left this church. And I've beat myself over the head about that many times. And I've come to have the consolation of staff and others around me to say, hey, when you preach God's word and you stay faithful to it, and you're not like on a legalistic bandwagon here, and I'm not, I'm just like you. Uh, I follow Christ. I love him with all my heart. I want what he wants. I hope you do too. And that's why we're here. And God has wonderfully blessed this church. But many have, have gone, and I can't, you can't force people to stay in a multiple-choice culture. But here we are. If you want to stay with us, I hope you do. If you want to leave, today's probably the day to go. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm being kind of mean this morning. <laughs> I'm not being very friendly. I love you all. I love you all. Here we go. Okay, so he says, realize we are to be members of one another. The fifth precept is in verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. The actual precept is the next phrase. Abhor what is evil. Actually, uh, abhorring what is evil is the subject. Uh, let love be without hypocrisy is the modifier. That, that's, that's what's supposed to be happening, but there's a problem with our love. It's hypocritical because of evil. We are to abhor what is evil. It's, it's not a simple thing, by the way, to accomplish this, because uh, if you're really going to understand what evil is in your own personal life, you have to literally be spirit-filled to discern between what is pleasing the Lord and what is dangerously harmful in your walk with Him. And this has everything to do with the genuineness of your love. So he says, love without hypocrisy. Uh, and obviously, uh, to do that, we have to understand where does that come from, that hypocrisy, but the evil that's in our own life. My love and my loyalty to Christ, then, is what is being measured at the very core of this verse. And then, obviously, it demands, for me, a revealing. I need to be able to see inside. That's why we often ask the Lord, Lord, look inside, look deep inside, and help me see what that thing is that's still dark in my life. And we do that. I don't think any of us knows fully what is laying beneath the surface of our life. Until the Holy Spirit comes along and opens it up and shows me the, the vein in my life of evil that's underneath the surface. And it's amazing how there are things there. Yeah, last, uh, a few weeks ago, my precious wife had a toothache. And uh, <clears throat> she called the dentist and had gone into the dentist and they took x-rays and came back and said, there's nothing wrong with you. To which she came home and said, I have pain. How can there be nothing wrong? You know, they took an x-ray. There's nothing there. How can I have pain? So we got another dentist opinion. And the lovely other dentist said, you've got a problem. It's pretty simple. If you have pain, if something's wrong on the surface... I guarantee you something's worse underneath. If there's a sin in your life or a problem, you're, you're just finding a fleshly problem in your life that you're struggling with, whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be that kind of a sin. It can just be a, an attitude problem that resurfaces all the time. How many times have you, uh, uh, guys, have you told your wife uh, you love her after she's asked you a couple times? And after you've told her you love her, you've heard this response back. 
Well, I don't, I don't really see it. I, I, by, by what you, how you act or by what you don't say or by, uh, by the nature of that, I, I, I don't know that I believe you. Well, I, I do love you. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's not what you say. It's, it's what I see. It's what I sense. It's what I feel, right? And so in this text, you just realize that if there's this problem of love having a hypocritical problem in my life, there has to be a reason. He says, abhor what is evil. That's the problem. But I got to figure out what is the evil in my life. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm not talking about you know, like these major egregious sins that we all know about. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know you're, you're being unfaithful in your marriage. We're not talking about uh, things that are obvious. Maybe you've got a habit that's really, really seriously bad and everybody knows it, or at least your wife does, or at least your kids do. Uh, it, it's not about something that's major that we define that way. And what happens is, is we compartmentalize sin so much that we don't see the actual sins in our life that really are truly evil that we really don't even see. It's so easy for any uh, fellow, any woman to sit back and say, well, I don't have those major things that, you know, that I see other people have. It's like that publican who's praying and uh He's praying, and then he, he's, he's a tax collector, and then there's this uh, Pharisee over here praying, and the Pharisee's going through this whole deal about, Lord, I'm not like all those other men, thank goodness. <laughs> he doesn't see the dark in his soul. And so what happens is we, uh, we need to identify those things. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, show me. Show me what's dark inside me. And you know what that darkness can be? It can be, uh, it can be how I look at certain people at certain times, which is really dark. Uh, it can be uh, things that, thoughts that go through my mind, just you know, flash through my mind, and they're, they're not nice things about somebody. It, it, it can be just a, a, a not recognizing... Uh, Things I could do to just be kind and express, you know, kindness to others. And maybe I'm just so self-caught up that I don't see it, don't care. I don't know what it is. But, you know, those things are just as dark as murder. And, and it's so easy for Christians to just write off people and compartmentalize people and, and segregate the church and divide over sometimes things that aren't even important. And, and it's amazing how churches will fight and split over stupid things. So Paul, Paul identifies this problem over in Corinthians. Can I take you there in Corinthians chapter 1? Paul uh, wants us to know that this church that thinks they have their act together, it's one of the worst churches in the Bible. And so he writes these things out for us to learn. These Corinthians are so caught up in so much of a mess in what they do, how they express their faith, what they say they believe, how they judge others in the church. What a mess. And I can imagine that a world around the Corinthian church had to have been majorly confused about what in the world is a Christian. And and sadly to say that sometimes I think people can look at our lives, and let me ask you a question. Are people who watch and know you from neighbors to coworkers to, uh, to whoever, even kids who watch us, what do they see? What is being communicated for them to translate that that person's really not true, that person's a hypocrite, that person's not genuine, as opposed to that person really does believe in Christ, really does follow Jesus Christ? 
So Paul addresses in verse 10 of chapter 1, Now I plead with you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Do you hear how this Paul's calling them back to what we already read in Romans? He's calling this church back to having a same mind. Again, this idea of putting ourselves together. We are a part of each other. And then he says in verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you by my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Quarrels is what he's saying. Now I say this, and that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Uh, you know, in our church, we may have some who say, I'm of Byron, I'm of, <laughs> I'm of Nick, I'm of Bob, I'm of David. I mean, if you do that, I'm going to cry. Not because you're not all for me, because that is extremely the problem here. But as opposed to that, give thanks to God for whoever he has placed before you to share the word of God. And not everyone has the same skills, but we have the same Lord and the same Spirit. He says, is Christ divided, verse 13? Was Paul crucified for you? No, he wasn't. (laughs) How about, uh, was he baptized? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, no, you weren't. I thank God that I baptized none of you except two guys, Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized, they were baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Uh, he's just reminding them that stop picking and choosing who you think is the better one, and that's what you're going to you know, jump onto. That's going to be your, your hold on what is good and spiritual for you is what he's saying. In chapter 3, he comes along and says There's a, there, are, there are more problems in this church. In fact, he even tells them in verse 1, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He's just saying, you, you haven't grown up. You're still immature. You're still babies. That's this church. In verse 3, and he says that, he says, you're... All these divisions, you have envy and strife and divisions among you. He says, you're carnal. You're behaving like mere men. See, our, our tendencies go to this dark place, and they've fallen trapped to that. I wonder how many of you have come from another church, and I wonder if I heard someone at your church tell the story different from your story. I wonder what I'd hear. And I've often, you know, as I listen with sympathetic ears to somebody who's telling me their past story of a church, and oftentimes uh, you, you're hurt with them about the things that they've experienced and the hurt they've sensed and so on, and then you talk to others, and they're going to tell us, spin that story a whole different way, and sometimes you're not really sure what all the details are and who's exactly fully uh, true and all of that, and so you try to just not get caught up in all of that. But I do know this, there is the tendency in us, to find ourselves divided over things, especially in the church. We are human beings. And that can happen to us very easily, and Satan knows that. But over in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says, you folks have immorality happening. Now, he's, it's, got, it's a quantum leap from, from one kind of sin to the other in the sense of we, we just think this is horrendous in chapter 5. It's horrendous. But it's amazing how we tolerate chapter 3. 
it's amazing how churches like uh, we can have attitude problems and and that's God's not judging that and we can have divisions and and all of that and envy and strife and mess and and splits and all of that and we can get away with all that we think God doesn't care about that but oh my they, they have a morality in their church so that's terrible and it was terrible well that's bad chapter six he says <laughs> you've got people suing each other you got lawsuits in your church. We, uh, we have written in our document, in our bylaws, that it's unbiblical for a believer in this church to sue another believer in this church. So if you're going to do that, you've got you to demember yourself, go to a different church, and then, then do the lawsuit. Don't do it here. Don't do that. Let God judge and let God dish out what he needs to dish out and trust him if that's the case. But be careful about that because the world's going to tell you, go for it. We've got to be careful. All these things that we don't... So here's my thing. We're, we're walking toward Romans 14. My goal is to get to Romans 14 where Paul's going to talk about gray areas of life. <clears throat> things that pro and con, things that aren't necessarily bad for one person, they might be bad for somebody else. We're going to get into that. But we can't go there until we settle this, because we need to understand that our tendencies in our own mind are to quantify sin or to, uh, you know, somehow separate one sin from another. And we don't have the capacity when we think like that to see our own sin for what it really is. So I hope that God will help us to unveil the things, as, as it says in Hebrews, the sin that so easily besets us, that we can actually identify that sin. And, and that's why Paul said back in our text that he said that we must abhor sin. We must find the sin in our life and hate it so we can deal with it. You know, so when we leave here today, and whatever is in your heart about someone else or some other thing, some attitude, even a, you know what, two married people who both say they're following Jesus Christ, that they love Christ. And we're going to see in the next few points here, how can you, how can you say that? How can you say you're loving, following Christ when you have darkness in your soul like that? And so we have to be very careful to identify those things and, and hate them, those things that are taking us away from the glory of God. The sixth precept is in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. I've got two here. I've separated these two. I want to take the first one. Be kindly affectionate to one another. And I think that that's important. And I, I just asked a question to you as I asked to myself. Where is Jesus if we cannot at least be kind to one another? Just that. Where is he if we cannot be kind to one another? Uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about uh, in our church here this morning, just even this morning and, and before we leave today, how many people do you think you'll shake hands with or hug on your way out the door? Now, if, if you're a huggy person, we have huggers here. So you can get all the hugs you want. If you're just a handshaker, we've got lots of handshakers here. You'll get that. Because we're a friendly church. You've heard that this morning. We're a friendly church. I think we really are. But here's the thing. When you go down to the little gas station here in town or when you go to Walmart or wherever you go do your thing, whatever you're doing out there, and you bump into people, just people in life, 
How few people will we touch in a week's time? Just just take a day out of your life and just contemplate that. How many people will you touch? Because here's the thing. As he's calling us to uh, be kindly affectionate to one another, and, and the, the bulk of the text here is about fellowship and the believer. So we know that that's right for church to do that. But I want to extend that, that there's something of an oxymoron if we're unkind to anyone. And so the challenge here is for us to, I want us to take our attitudes about people. Okay, uh, do you think I not have to do this? <laughs> do you think I don't have a problem? Uh, I've told you up here many of my little idiosyncrasies and my problems. I, I, if I get behind somebody that's just, oh, I was behind a car the other day that was slower than a buggy. I thought, what in the world is wrong with this person? This just barely moving. They've got to be looking at their phone. That's got to be what they're doing. And they're just going down the road like, you know, and hogging the road. And, and, and I had cars behind me were starting to pile up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I, was, I had a yellow line. I'm not supposed to go around. I'm like, i got to go around this person. So I, so I go around. I'm looking at this person as I'm driving by. They weren't looking at their phone. They were just, just a little person, you know, just scared. Just driving like 10 miles an hour. And I wanted to say, just let me take you where you need to go. Just go home, you know. We'll get you there. Man. That's just a silly example, but what happens is we build little cases like that against people for all kinds of silly reasons. And who am I to do that? Who do I think I am to do that? And what do I know is going on? They might be having a stroke for all I know. Don't laugh. That's happened here fairly recently. Just don't laugh about that. I, I actually thought that might be the problem because I thought I might have to pull them off the road, but I don't want to dent my car. So just see how it goes and everything's okay. They just kept going. I'm learning more and more that my evaluations of people are often wrong. And we have to be very careful. And obviously the first thing that ought to come out of our nature, our new nature, is to be kind. Then he, uh, he intensifies the next phrase. He says, in honor giving preference to one another. Now he, now he actually intensifies this idea. Be kind. Okay, I can be kind, but how about honoring people? How about giving preference over myself to honor people? That's a whole other level. I can be kind as long as it's in my own sort of, uh, you know, free space and my own uh, functioning. But how do I then, you know, extend myself to this idea of beyond brotherly love to now honor people, giving preference to them over myself? what is the mind of Christ that Peter writes about, or sorry, that Paul writes about in Philippians 2, when he tells us that we're to put others first before us. So here's how I apply that this morning. Husband. Every husband here. Do you put your wife before you? Wife, do you put your husband before you? Kids, if you're younger than 30 here, kids, do you put your parents before you? How about this one? Do you put your parents before your friends? Because that's what we're called to do. That's what somebody who says, I'm a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, that's what you're called to do. We prefer others before us because that's what Christ did for you and for me. 
He preferred us before himself all the way to the cross to die for you in your place. How about that? And the call from the Lord and Paul's uh, uh, explanation of what it means to follow Jesus is just saying kindness should flow out of us, but beyond that, giving preference to one another. So it reminded me, obviously, of that story. We all know it, uh, the the, the, uh, Good Samaritan parable in Luke chapter 10. just reminded me of that so instantly because you have this Samaritan fellow who's walking along and he sees over in a ditch a Jewish fellow who's in the ditch bleeding, bruised, unconscious, naked. And he makes a choice. He makes a decision. He puts that fellow above his own agenda. That's the whole story. That's what Christ wants us to understand. He couldn't walk by and just ignore the problem. So he drifts over. Others walk by, didn't care, but he walks over there, sees, goes in the ditch, out of his way, and once you go that far to commit, you, you, you're kind of going that way. And so he, he cleans his wounds. The Word of God says he, he gets him up, puts him on his donkey colt, takes him to a hotel. And then because he's already lost his time frame, he himself stays the night with his fellow in the hotel room. I'm sure he had to take care of him in the hotel room, salve his wounds, clean him, tuck him in. Give him a kiss goodnight. <laughs> I'm kidding. But he took care of him. The next morning, he had to get on his agenda. We don't know what his agenda is, but evidently his agenda was important. He had to leave. So he tells the innkeeper, look, I'm leaving. I have to go. Here's the money. Uh, whatever he needs, you take care of him, and whatever he needs, I'll take care of it. And when I come back through, I'll pay whatever the total is. Now, I don't think many innkeepers would have done much with that, but... Maybe this guy did. They must have, maybe they knew each other. There was a trust factor there in the story. The whole point is that Jesus Christ saw you. Just, just think about yourself. And you, uh, if you start thinking that you're a pretty good guy, you've already gone the wrong place. Because we are dead in our sins. We are absolutely helpless in our sins. We have no hope. We have no help. We're all by ourselves. And Jesus comes along and sees us as absolutely impossible to make ourselves good enough to get out of that ditch and get into heaven. There's no way. And Jesus Christ did not pass. He steps over and he says, I've given my life to pay for whatever penalties are coming your way. I've cleared the decks for you. All you have to do is believe in me and come out of that ditch with me. And many of you have done that. Most of us here have done that. And so how dare I, how dare you try to get to, uh, to an attitude that I don't, I don't need to care. I don't need to love other saints. I don't need to invest myself in other believers. I, I, don't, I don't need to be kind to people if I don't feel like it. I, I, how dare us do that? The last precept I want to cover is verse 11. Let's do this real quick and then we'll be done. He adds this next idea here. Now, I skipped over the modifiers. I I didn't think I have time. I'm just going to briefly mention them. And he says, be kindly affectionate. He says, uh, in honor, uh, preferring. In verse 11, he says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Uh, I believe that those two can be modifiers of of uh, brotherly love, uh, of extending preference to others. He says, not lagging in diligence. In other words, get to it. Do it. 
don't, don't hold back. Fervent in spirit means I do this with, with a fervency, with an absolute sense of need that this person needs help, this person I should care about, this person needs to hear the gospel. I, I express great need there. There's a fervency. Then he talks about serving the Lord as the last point I wanted to make, the last precept. And even serving the Lord has modifiers to it. Uh, I serve the Lord at verse 12 by rejoicing in hope. I'm a person who serves others, but I have a, a, a rejoicing in hope. The hope is, is, is what I believe about eternal life. The hope is what I believe about that person. The, the hope is all that hope is packed into as far as eternal things. I rejoice in hope. I'm, I'm patient in tribulation. I'm going to serve you and be patient through the tribulation. I'm going to wait through the problems and the struggles, and I'm not going to go away. I'm still going to be there, and I'm going to serve. I'm, I'm going to serve, uh, he says here, continue, continuing steadfastly in prayer. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to be praying while I'm serving you. Uh, so I'm going to continue in prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one who's, who's serving you with all that I have, and I'm going to be praying for you through the process, and I'm not going to stop. I think it's so important to, to know that's how we serve Christ. And then he says, given to hospitality. I'm going to serve you to the point of even hospitality. I'm, I'm, I'm given to that. I'm, I'm surrendering myself to that. There's hundreds of ways that a person can serve Jesus. I, I'm going to simplify it this way. Just figure out who you are and get busy doing it. <laughs> can I say that? You know what? Uh, some folks don't know what their gifts are. Maybe I should have a sermon on gifts, but you know what? I've, I've, I've done that over the past. I don't think it's extremely productive because I just find saints for 20, 30, 40 years still don't know who they are. My challenge is that I found out my gift when I started serving Jesus before I ever knew what my gift was. You'll discover your spiritual gift when you're serving with a right attitude and you're serving just to please Jesus, and that's when you'll discover your gifts. And it might take a while. You might have to serve him in many different ways. I've always said, you know what? If you don't know where to serve, here's the deal. Ask the Lord to show you, and then just sit and wait, because he'll smack you in the head with something. I'm promising you. There's a lot to do around here. There's a lot to do. And if I have to spoon-feed people to serve, well, here's a little thing you can do, and here's a little thing you can do. That's not how it works. Just say, give me something to do. I'm ready to do whatever it is. And we'll give you a shovel and a rake and go dig a hole. (laughs) No. We'll have something for you to do, I promise. I promise. There are other precepts we're going to cover that I think need to govern our lives. But I hope that somehow you can sense that in the walk with Jesus Christ, these things are vital for us. And even sometimes the smallest things in our lives must be really scrutinized to make sure that, Lord, is there any evil in my heart that I don't know about? And and I'm going to come back and just remind us one more time. All of this... All of this sounds like a long list of things, but you know what? It's just an outflow. It's just an outflow. You're getting them in bullet form in, in the verses that Paul's given us, but it's an outflow of verse 1 and 2. The more I give myself to Christ and follow him, the more I want him to be in charge of my life, the more he unveils to me what he wants. It should be easy in some sense. that If, I, if I'm really committed to following Christ, then being kind ought to be much easier and if I still have a streak in me that's just not kind, I've, I've got sin deep inside my heart. And I have to learn to hate that sin. I have to hate that. I don't want to be like that. How about you? Whatever it is, we're called to follow Christ and serve him in this way. These are the precepts that we 
that should define us. So when a person sees me and sees you, as they get to know us a bit, may they be attracted. These are attractive things. This is what Christ does in us to attract others to us because they're being attracted to him in us. That's what it's all about. Let's do it. Let's do it, okay? As members of one another, let's be what Christ has called us to be. And if you're not a member here, uh, I would just encourage you to, uh, to join by faith, trust that process, and know that Jesus Christ wants that from you so that you can just give your all in what God's doing here at Alpine Bible Church. Or else take it somewhere else and join and get yourself plugged in. I think that's vital. If you don't know Christ, that's the greatest thing of all, knowing Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Let's pray. Lord, we commit these thoughts to you. Ask your blessing on your word. We're just a a bunch of people that love you. I pray somehow that you would use our lives to be an attraction of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the just anyone today who's struggling in their heart with belief, with rebellion, with uh, just struggles, hurts, confusion, uh, complicated things that can't seem to be answered. I, I ask that you will just unveil to them the simple truth that giving their lives to you and trusting you is, is the way to unlock the door to understanding life and understanding what it means to know you and and following you, and how much easier and wonderful it is as we walk behind you. Lord, I pray you'll just resolve the storm in the heart today. I pray you'll calm uh, those who are just going through a a tough time and loss of a loved one, that you'll just uh, smooth their heart with your salve of your love and your spirit. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, just uh, give us uh, a charge to live for you in the days ahead and be faithful. I pray that will help help us to love each other in a genuine way in this church, uh, to look each other in the eye and know that uh, we care about each other. And I pray you'll just bless this church in the days ahead for your honor and your glory, committing all this to you in Christ's precious name. Amen.